Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, which says, as you see on your screen, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So this morning, we are going to continue walking through our 2023 theme, Let's Go. And um, from that perspective, we will continue to look at additional aspects of what this year will entail for us. Here's the thing about a declaration like let's go. And like we talked about last Sunday with uh, the level of intent and focus that we run with. Many other things that happen in our lives. One thing that is very true that is never confusing is the reality of the fact that is always easier said than done. The easy part is saying it. That's why many of our New Year's resolutions begin with saying what we want to do in order to see something different in our lives. Saying it is the easy part. When we have failed, the easy thing to do is to offer an apology. The more difficult thing to do is to adjust our behavior in a way that ensures we don't have to make the same apology again. Saying it is the easy part. Doing it is the difficult part. That's where the rubber meets the road. And to go a step further, when we talk about and highlight and emphasize the theme for Church on Purpose this year of Let's Go, it is not just a verbal declaration of a desire, but it is a rallying cry that requires us to not only say it, but to do it, but to go a little bit further, it is about longevity of activity. It's not about doing something one time and then moving on to the next thing. But this is about the focus and the level of intent that's required to identify what is needed to get us from where we are to where we desire to be and to make the commitment at the beginning of this year in the enthusiasm of a new year to do what's necessary to arrive at that destination. And what we oftentimes overlook is the truth that it is not the major decisions in our lives that make the greatest impact. It is not the major moments of our lives that determine our destiny, but rather it is the small incremental actions that are taken day after day after day that end up ultimately leading us to the end. I've mentioned this before in the past on several occasions, but this concept is communicated uh, probably the best that I've seen it in my time through the book by a motivational writer and author, uh, Darren Hardy, the book called The Compound Effect. And in his book, The Compound Effect, he simply talks about what I just said, the fact that no singular large action makes the major determining difference in our lives. 
but rather it is the seemingly insignificant actions day after day after day after day that make the real difference. The people who make a declaration that they want to lose weight go to the gym five times, very rarely achieve their goal. But rather, it is the people who make the declaration that they want to lose weight, build the system and the structure that enables them to alter their eating choices, adjust their activity during the day so that they are more mobile than they are used to being, and that gives them the discipline to be able to make the decisions about food choices that are going to support them in their effort, those are the people who end up seeing the change because they engage in the behaviors day by day. People that say that they want to be debt-free don't not only become debt-free and stay debt-free because of a one-time windfall of resources that allows them to get caught up on their bills, but rather it is when we develop the discipline through the difficult and the mundane daily actions of reviewing our finances and aligning them to our goals and um, evaluating the waste of our resources and redirecting those resources into intentional places, ongoing conversations with financial advisors that help us to maximize the resources that we have and making better financial choices day after day after day. That is what ultimately leads us to freedom and liberty from debt that is sustainable, preventing us from going back into debt. It is part of the reason why lottery, you always hear about how lottery winners win all this money and then a couple years later, all the money is gone. And it's because they have not developed the day-to-day -day behaviors and habits that will allow them to maximize the resources. So although the big windfall of resources came and allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do, they didn't have the behaviors and the habits that would prevent them from ending up in the same situation that they were before. This is not about a one-time decision that is a big, altering, life-altering moment uh, that puts you on the path to easy street. But this is about the very real requirement and necessity of, of first identifying the daily behaviors that we need to engage in in order to achieve the goals that we have established for ourselves and for our lives and then making the commitment to engage in those behaviors on a consistent basis that ultimately helps to get us to the point where we are living the life that God designed for us to live. It is about consistency of commitment. Doing that thing that you said you were going to do long after the feeling you set it in has left you. The consistency of commitment. It's easy to say it. It's easy to say it when you're standing at the altar, but what happens down the road when the excitement of the wedding is gone? It's easy to make the commitment to live in a healthier lifestyle on January 1st, but what is there to sustain you and to keep you on August 1st? It is easy in the moment to say that you want this, but when the excitement and enthusiasm and the energy that was in that moment that made it easy for you to make the declaration is gone, how do you continue to engage in the behaviors, the mundane, the monotony that is required in order for you to arrive at your destination? Paul says that everybody that's in the race is running to win the race. 
because in earthly races, only one person gets the prize. And so we should be running like we want to win. We talked about this last week. If we're going to run, we need to be running like we want to win. But he goes on to say that they who are running like they want to win, that they control themselves in pursuit of their prize, which he makes intentional effort to clarify for us is a perishable prize, a temporary prize, and distinguishes the prize that these people are running after from the prize that we are running after, which Paul tells us is imperishable. And so while last week we talked about the need to run like you want to win, today we're going to focus on exercising comprehensive self-control. And when we look at this idea and concept of self-control, even as Paul lays it out for us in the scripture today, we see that there is a routine involved with self-control. There's a routine of self-control. Think about, to continue Paul's metaphor, think about the day-to-day -day life of a professional athlete. AleisureMag.com in uh, last year on February 17th of 2022 released an article called What Does a Day in the Life of a Professional Athlete Look Like? And it's not a super lengthy article, but there are a number of gems in it that if I tried to give them to you myself, I would end up stretching it out and it'd take longer to say what needs to be said than what it's going to take for me to read it for you. So I'm going to read portions of this article for you. The first section is entitled The Daily Routine. and says professional athletes usually work out six days per week. Depending on the weather conditions, they'll either be outside or in the gym. Each day begins after at least eight hours of sleep. If you want to become a professional athlete, creating a healthy sleeping schedule is of the utmost importance. Sleep is the time when your body rests and heals from all the exercise. That said, a lot of athletes have custom-made beds, pillows, and mattresses that help them to sleep better. The breakfast. An athlete's breakfast serves a specific purpose. It provides fuel for their bodies and keeps them hydrated for the upcoming training session that comes almost right after breakfast. Therefore, proteins, carbs, and supplements can almost always be found in an athlete's breakfast. However, breakfast must also be light so that it doesn't hinder the workout. Morning training session. Morning exercises are usually endurance training <laughs> that improve an athlete's stamina. That includes walking, stretching, jogging, and sprint runs. It all depends on the athlete and the sport they're preparing for. In most cases, it's the coaches that prepare a workout routine for athletes every day, so you never really know what to expect. The lunch. Lunch comes right after the morning training session, which is the time when athletes are the most hungry. A well-balanced meal is what's needed. You can usually find fish, eggs, steak, fruits, vegetables, pasta, and a lot of salad in a typical athlete's lunch. 
preparing food and dishes comes down to personal preference, but it's important for athletes to intake all the nutrients that their body needs as they tune it to perfection. Power nap. Napping is not something you'd expect from professional athletes to do, but a lot of them actually do it. Power naps are crucial because you must let your body rest a little, rest at least for a little while. A 20-minute power nap is usually enough to let your body rest after a long day of working out, especially when there's more workout awaiting you. Afternoon workout and dinner. Afternoon workout routine is the toughest one. This is where all the hard work actually happens. Again, what the routine looks like depends on the athlete, but in most cases, exercises consist of sled pulls, blocks, acceleration runs, plyometrics, and so on. Unfortunately, the more tedious the workout routine is, the better the results are. After workout comes dinner. A balanced diet is crucial for athletes, so even dinner must be plentiful and nutritious. Some athletes go out with friends after that, but they are not allowed to drink or smoke because it can negatively impact their health, workout, and results. Closing words. The life of a professional athlete does seem glorious when you watch them on TV or online. However, what happens when you don't see them is what makes a professional athlete in the first place. That means tons of workout and tons of sacrifices. This is their commitment, their dedication in pursuit of goals that they have selected for themselves. Goals that are apparently valuable enough to them to be willing to make the sacrifices required. Here's the question for us today. What does a day in the life of somebody pursuing the imperishable prize that Paul was talking about look like? This is what a professional athlete intentionally does and structures their life in order to accomplish and achieve, how do we measure up with how we are managing, stewarding, organizing, structuring our lives in order to achieve the goal that we said that we desire and obtain the prize that has been promised to us? crazy thing about it is that at this time that Paul is writing, we mentioned last week that he utilizes this metaphor of athletics because he knows that the Corinthians are familiar with not only the competitions themselves, but the training regiments of the athletes because they're in Corinth every two years is uh, held the Isthmus games, the Isthmian games. And these particular games, similar and second only to the Olympic Games, which are held every four years in Olympia, these games are a major celebration within the community. As a matter of fact, these games are a part of larger religious celebrations. They are each specifically held in honor of a specific deity. So in Corinth, the Isthmian Games were held in honor of Poseidon. And in Olympia, the Olympic Games were held in honor of Zeus. And so 
the athlete's participation in the games is actually an act of worship. The way that they perform in the games is an act of worship to the deity that is being celebrated during that particular festival. And so they prepare in Corinth for two years to make sure that their presentation and execution on game day honors the deity that they are worshiping. For the Olympic Games, four years of daily sacrifice and discipline and commitment and investment in order to perform on a single day. And what did they get for all of that? The routine of self-control leads to the reward of self-control. Because we, Paul goes on to say in that verse that they do this to obtain a perishable reward, a wreath. The winner of the race would be presented with a wreath crown that they would be able to wear on their heads that would be made out of uh, in this case, after, after Rome came in and took possession of the area, they adjusted the crown of the Isthmian Games to a crown of uh, made up of pine. And so these individuals are dedicating themselves to preparation for the race that they have to run for two years to get some twigs that have been twisted together to put on their head that would clearly not last and after only a few days would begin to shrivel and wither and wear out. Now, you might say that they also would receive admiration from the masses, and that's true. But admiration from the masses is also temporary. You might say that they would receive recognition all throughout town and that their name would be recorded in various places. That would be true. But even those recognitions and celebrations are temporary. Paul tells us that we do it for an imperishable reward. That the self-control that we exercise and that we demonstrate in our lives is not for something that is going to be here today and gone tomorrow. That it is, we are not adjusting our lives and disciplining our lives for something that isn't going to last. But the fruit of what we do is a reward that never grows old. It is for a reward that will last beyond everything that we see around us. It is a reward that will last longer and far beyond any gold or any trophies or certificates that you've already received. It is a reward that will last longer than the vitality of your body and the strength of your muscles. 
It is a reward that will last even beyond the memory of your own mind. The reward that we are pursuing is an imperishable reward. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory where the runners in the Isthmus Games and the Olympic Games would receive crowns that after a few days would be faded and brittle and, uh, and broken. We are in pursuit of a crown, Peter says, that will never fade. In John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus prays this prayer for his disciples. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The, the reward that we are receiving is one that will never perish, that will never grow old, that will never grow stale, that will never fade, that will never falter. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, the Apostle Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The prize that we are in pursuit of that will never grow old, that will never experience pain and fading is a brand new glorified body that is crowned with the crown of righteousness. And what that means is that what we're in pursuit of is a body that will never feel pain, a body that will never know hurt, a body that will never know fear, a body that will never know brokenness, in a relationship with God that will never be in Interrupted, Because when we take the crown of righteousness and have it put on our imperishable bodies that will never die, we are guaranteed an eternity in the presence of God because our new bodies grant us eternity. But it is the crown of righteousness that he places on our heads that 
ensures that every time God looks at us, he doesn't see our faults and our failures. He doesn't see the sins that we committed. He doesn't see our disobedience and our disagreements. He doesn't see our faults and our failures and our limitations. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ as he hung on the cross, took the penalty for our sins so that we could be with him forever. The prize that we're after is an imperishable one. We don't do all the things that we do for no reason, but the prize that we are in pursuit of is worth the pain. That is the declaration that every athlete has to make up for themselves if they are going to be able to compete at the highest level. They're going to have to realize that in order to obtain the prize that is before them, that there are many days of pain for a brief moment of celebration. We have some track athletes in the room. Some twins that I heard are pretty good. Plan on seeing them this track season. And anybody that's run track before knows the practices suck. They hurt. They're horrible. They're terrible. In fact, if you ain't laying on the ground with your arms on your head like this and your knees wobbling back and forth, then you ain't run hard enough. Because the abuse that we put our bodies through in practice, in training, is painful. But we are willing to do it because we believe the prize of victory is worth the pain that we have to go through. And we know that the more pain we are willing to endure in training, the greater the victory will be on the back end. And so for you and I in pursuit of this prize that God has or already ordained for us, teed up for us, set up for us, that is nothing but an alley-oop for us, it is uh, going to require pain along the journey. As we discipline ourselves, this is, We'll get in specifically into that in a couple of weeks. But as we discipline ourselves for the journey, sometimes it's going to hurt. When we know what we want and God says no, sometimes it's going to hurt. When we got a taste for it and an appetite for it, but we know that it's not good for us anymore, saying no to it sometimes is going to hurt. But we do it because the prize that is before us is worth the pain that we have to endure. And when we realize that the pain has purpose, then we stop focusing on the prize, uh, on the pain, and we turn our eyes to the prize. So if we are navigating our days and we're focused on the pain that we're experiencing in our lives, it's probably because we're in pursuit of the wrong prize. But when we are clear about what we're after, then the pain that we have to endure along the way gets contextualized as a requirement, a prerequisite for the prize that we're after. And we know that if we can just push through the pain a little bit more, if we can get up one more day and give it one more try, if we can take the opportunity that's before us and just do our best in this moment, if we can get up and just go one more lap, 
if we can get up and just try again one more time, if we can get up and just run away from it, leave it alone for one more day, do we know that the pain that we are experiencing is going to produce a prize that is worth the pain that we've been through? There is a routine self-control that is required for our lives. But that routine of daily activity and engagement, completing, checking off the mundane things day after day after day, leads us to a reward for self-control. But here's the last thing that we want to touch on today. Because like I began at the beginning of this message, saying it is the easy part. The doing it that that presents the challenge. Saying that we need to be self-controlled is easy. Actually experiencing it seems like the most challenging part. Here's the crazy thing. Self-control isn't something that we have to force. Here's why I say that. Because scripture says that. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 lets us know that God knows very clearly about the condition that we're in. Scripture says, this is Paul talking, he says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Meaning that before we come to the knowledge of Christ, submit our lives to him and receive his Holy Spirit, good does not dwell in us. He goes on to say, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. In our sinful nature, we are incapable of consistently carrying out what is good. We are incapable of exercising the control over our being to resist doing the things that we want to do but have knowledge of that we should not be doing. In our sinful nature, we are incapable of controlling ourselves all the time. We might get it right four out of five times, but that one out of five times that we failed is enough to disqualify us from the standard of perfection for being in the presence of God. But thank God he didn't didn't leave us alone, but he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross, taking the penalty for our sins, but not just taking the penalty, but establishing the pathway for us to not have to live a life bound by sin anymore. Jesus gets up from the grave, is resurrected on the third day, spends some time with his disciples, goes back into heaven, and 10 days after that on Pentecost, sends his Holy Spirit back to dwell with his disciples. And scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love, and of self-control. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So why do I say that self-control isn't something that we have to force? Because self-control is the result of a life that is yielded and surrendered to the Spirit of God. We don't have to try to force ourselves into not doing things that we know we ain't got no business doing. If we submit and surrender our lives to the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to be a guide, a comforter, and a counselor, if we will listen to the Spirit of God that is in tune with the mind of God, then we can stay in step with the plan of God in our lives and all we working on, all we focused on, all we're uh, directing ourselves toward, all we're focusing our energy on is simply being obedient to how the Spirit guides. We don't have to try to uh, uh, fight against our flesh to do the things that are right, the, uh, the scripture says that if we will listen to the spirit, if we will receive the gift that God has given us, if we will submit our will to his, then self-control will naturally grow in our lives. Which means that if we are struggling with self-control, it is an indication of a root issue of surrendering our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. If we are finding it difficult to do the things that we know are in alignment with God's plan and finding it difficult to stop doing the things that we know are out of alignment with God's plan, then that means that, that the root issue of that is the submission of our lives, our will, our hearts to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Because here's the thing, Paul makes it a point to say, that these athletes exercise self-control in all things. And so it doesn't matter if you manage your time right, if you're mismanaging your finances, you still aren't able to do everything that God has, uh, has planned and desires for you to do. Self-control has to be exercised in all things. We are to be good stewards of our entire lives. And if we try to do it in our own effort, in our own energy, by our own willpower, our power is not enough to overcome the temptations and the desire and the hunger of our flesh. But when we have surrendered and yielded our spirit to God, then we are assured that as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, listen to his Holy Spirit, then self-control will be a natural result automatically produced in our lives because we have surrendered to him. Jesus was not crazy when he said that if you simply seek the kingdom and my righteousness, then all of these other things will be added to you, will be taken care of, will be checked off. 
part of the reason that we haven't been able to move beyond some of the things that have been limiting us is because we've, tried to, we've been trying to move beyond them in our own power. The reason that our attitude ain't been fixed and adjusted yet is because we keep trying to fix it in our own power. The reason we haven't been quicker to forgive is because we keep trying to do it in our own power. And our own power finds joy in holding unforgiveness over other people's heads. The reason that we haven't made progress in the area that we desire is likely because we've been trying to do it in our own power. But if we're going to get to where God desires us to be, in order to get there, it's going to require us to demonstrate self-control in all things. In pursuit of a prize that is imperishable. If we try to do it in our own strength, it's just simply not going to work. We will always end up short. But in order to cultivate self-control in our lives, the irony is we have to step outside of ourselves and get the support and the assistance of the one whose mission and purpose it is, is to coach us to victory. And I ain't talking about me. Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives is to coach us in pursuit of the imperishable prize, to lay out the training regiment, to provide the accountability, to help us to adjust our routine, to align with what's going to be best for us. Not a single athlete has ever won a major competition without a coach. Because we need someone outside of us that's not going to take it easy on us on the days that we don't feel it. We need somebody outside of us that don't care about how we feel, that knows where we're trying to go and is willing to push us beyond our feelings into our purpose. And the only one that is with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year when we're in public and when we're in the dark in our closet is the Holy Spirit. And when we listen to him and submit to him, then we can see the development of the self-control in our lives that is required for where we're going. So let's go. Let's run this year like we want to win. Let's exercise comprehensive self-control by submitting to the Spirit of God and allowing him to guide us on a daily basis to 
allow him to help us to establish a daily routine that will structure our efforts so that they are fruitful in the pursuit of purpose. To allow him to prepare our breakfast for us each day that will serve as our fuel for the work that we have to do. To allow him to structure our morning training sessions where he puts together a plan that will help us to build the endurance that is necessary for the journey that we're on. Let him prepare our lunch with all of the needed nutrients that are required to keep us strong and healthy in pursuit of the prize. And that will fuel us for the work to come. Allow him to provide us with rest along the journey so that we can be recharged when we are tired and weary and be refreshed to be able to get up and to go again. Let him organize and orchestrate the afternoon workouts and training sessions that are the hardest parts of our journeys. When we allow him to orchestrate them, then we can be sure that no matter how hard, no matter how difficult the season is, that it is training and preparation, that it is making us better, it is equipping us, it's building us up and not breaking us down. Allow him to pair us with the dinner that's going to refill us and refuel us and restore us. And give us what we need to continue towards the journey and the prize that he has for us. Let's go. Let's go, but let's not go alone. Let's go walking in step with the Holy Spirit so that in pursuit of the imperishable prize that Jesus has awaiting us, we can exercise the self-control that's necessary to get there. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to run this race of life. And we're grateful that as difficult as it is at times, that we have the assurance that you know exactly what we need. Lord, as we prepare to continue running the race this week, help us, Lord, to begin by submitting to your spirit surrendering our plans and our goals and our strategies to what you have for us, knowing and believing that you know exactly what we need in order to be equipped to arrive at the wonderful prize that you have in store for us. I pray, Lord, that as we surrender to you and as we dig into your word, that you would connect the dots and clarify the image of the beauty of the prize that you have awaiting us in eternity. That the value of the prize would be elevated in our lives in such a way that it would be worth the pain that we have to go through. That when we want to give up, we would remember the prize. That when we want to 
throw in the towel, we would remember the prize. That when we just don't want to do it because we don't want to do it, we would remember the prize and find the fortitude to get up and to keep going. Because, Lord, what you have in store for us is worth everything that we have to go through before we get it. So, Lord, help us to accept and embrace our responsibility on this journey. That we would not accept excuses for ourselves about why we haven't done what we need to do and why we need to do what we don't need to do. Help us, Lord, to release the excuses, embrace the responsibility, and engage in submitted and surrendered partnership with your spirit that day by day our lives can more align with your will and your plan for us, and we can bring you honor and glory as we pursue the imperishable prize that awaits us. We thank you, God, for not leaving us on this journey alone, but for going with us, being our trainer, our coach, our support, our biggest cheerleader. We want to make you proud with the way that we run the race. Thank you, Lord, for your love and for your presence as you continue to be with us. Go with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.